When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Clubs, clubs, clubs. The Different Knock, an Arsenal podcast. Welcome back to We're Not Hosting Match of the Day either, an Arsenal podcast with Alexander Manipeni and my very good friend, George V. Unfortunately, no Bradley Adams today. Bradley Adams is uh, has a little bit of voice niggle. Uh, so he's sounding a bit like this. So he can't talk, unfortunately, on the podcast. Otherwise, it'd be too painful. Um, it's painful in other ways normally. Joking, Brad. Joking. We love you. Uh, second thing is this. Uh, if you are on any platform, frankly, but specifically on Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate if you were on uh, Apple Podcasts to open up your phone right now, open up your tablet, whatever device you use, and go on and give us a rating. Uh, ideally a, a nice one, but you know any kind of rating. We're, we're struggling on the ratings for Apple Podcasts. Spotify, you guys are killing it. Um, but Apple Podcasts, if you're on there, we'd much appreciate a rating. So thank you very much. Hello, George. How are you? I'm great, mate. How are you? Pretty good. Been to the gym because I'm a lad. You know, I'm really getting into it, the gym. Are you a gym goer? I am. A, I am a gym goer. I think consistency is key. So, you know, you got to uh, preach. If I'm telling all the uh, kids to, to run around, I can't be a, a lazy bum, can I? <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think, to be honest, I, I used to be one of those people who sort of mocked it and still am. I, can't, I still can't quite take myself seriously as a, a gym goer. Like I still mm. I still have to mock it slightly. <laughs> but I find it really enjoyable. Like I, I'm getting a lot out of it in terms of it makes me feel good. So I'm like, you know, as long as I don't turn to one of those guys who's sort of, what, dude, you, you can't bench 400 pounds. I'm like, Brad, like, you, you know, can't, I don't want to be one of those guys. But I, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. So uh, that's my that's my little uh, news of the day. Not that anyone cares. Right, let's get some Arsenal Football Club. That's what we're here to talk about. Um, this pod, uh, we are going to talk about the sporting game, but we're also going to get to a lot of other stuff. Um, and do a bit of a full and preview at the end. So it'll be a bit of a sort of amalgamation y thing. So strap yourselves in. Mm. Uh, George, first off, can I have your word of the game for sporting last night? Arsenal 2, Sporting 2 at the Sporting CP Arena. That's what I'll call it. <laughs> there we go. You're going to uh, have a lot of fans with that. Um, I'm going to call it um, uncoordinated. I think we were talking in the uh, match reaction for me. Um, there was a lot of things that I felt had some strange decision-making um, from both Mikel and a tactical perspective, but I also felt that having so many changes to the team made the performance quite uncoordinated. And, you know, when you when I had a chance to even look back, I actually saw a lot of these kind of tactical tweaks in the second half particularly um, as problematic. Um, and so hopefully we get to talk about it because I felt that the off-the-ball shape that, you know, Amarim, I think that's his name if I'm pronouncing properly it did was excellent in terms of combating you know arsenal and they did provide us kind of a problem that i do think mikel kind of mentioned in his post-match conference in terms of our ability to deal with certain balls and he was talking about uh not just balls that you think of but you know in terms of some of the through balls and behind um you know our center back it was something that we were having some trouble doing particularly in the channels i think there was a couple people at fault for that but beyond that i just felt that our structure was a little bit strange um, given how we try to counteract what sporting were providing us. And it was kind of even made weirder with the Fabio Vieira false nine that I know that you shared. So I just felt in general, this performance was uncoordinated. It definitely spoke of a team that hadn't played together, which is natural. It's fine. I don't mind that. Um, but just some of the off the ball things that I saw, I didn't love um, because I kind of expect an uncoordinated attack with a front line that's never played together. Um, that's expected. Um, I'm expecting poor decisions, but I just don't know if I expected some of the off the ball things that I saw. Yep, I uh, I uh, I saw. I'm, I'm in, li- in alignment with you on a lot of that stuff, and we'll, we'll definitely get to that. I think something that I feel is is ultimately, we, and we were kind of talking about this on the interaction where we, if you're changing six things, it's not just those six players that. That, uh, and those positions that change is the knock-on effect as well. And even if you change one player, if you change, if you move, even if you had, let's say, uh, from the last sort of, uh, let's say, proper lineup that we had uh, in the league from uh, Bournemouth, 
Trossard and Martinelli, even if you just swap them around in terms of uh, positioning, I know they were sort of interchanging during the game, but that has a knock-on effect in terms of what we're going to do, where the balls are going to go. There's so much knock-on effect. So my word of the game as well is if, if yours is uncoordinated, mine is not coordinated. It's exactly the same. <laughs> and it's, it's you know, it, it, I completely understand it. And I understand it as a concept because I don't think it's possible, particularly in the Europa League, and we were talking about this on in the interaction again, plug, um, t- to get a kind of, good read on where this team is at in the Europa League when there's that many changes. And I don't think I don't think we should be aiming for that in the Europa League any anytime soon. I'd hope over the next couple of years in the Champions League we can begin to get some kind of consistency, um, some ability to rotate, some ability to get players who are coming in at exactly the same level and able to deliver us um a similar level of, of performance and a similar level of understanding of the position. But when you have such special you know uh, specialities in their position in terms of Saliba Gabriel and Partey when you don't have two out of the three for most of the game, you are going to struggle to maintain that same kind of press because they're so good at keeping us squeezed out the pitch. When you don't have your front line that you want, when you don't have the eights that you normally have, when Odegaard's out, we're going to lose something on that right hand side. And you know, and when Saka's being asked to do something different, we're going to we're going to we're going to look different. So I, I suppose my main feeling is this is a kind of like. Yeah, of course, of course, we were a bit shit. Like it's it's kind of like it, it it feels understandable considering what has made us so good this season is the fact that you know I'm sure there's some stats that go around that that could uh, that could back this up, but around you know Saka, Gabriel, Saliba, Ramsdale, that sort of core group. Okay, we've had some injuries, but have really played most of the season, and those kind of what Rohan Jivan would call cooperative superiorities, but really just players playing together matters so much and that's really what I felt about this game was that there was just a lot of players who who were in positions where they hadn't been before were in a situation where they had where they'd been out and hadn't played in a while I thought Matt Turner was okay but again his issues were were in terms of rust Kivior's coming in and as I said at the top of this when you have those people coming in even if you keep hold of Saliba and White it doesn't matter because there's a knock-on effect. And you see this, you know, the first um, the first thing is a ball in behind Jorginho on the transition and uh, and, and and we're exposed. So I'm I'm pleased, to be honest, that we, the fact we even got a 2-2, I thought, I thought this could have been a tricky game. I predicted 2-2 as well because I think uh, sporting at their place going full strength when we're not, um, yeah, could have been could have been an even trickier game. So, yeah. I, I think um, when you talk about the cooperative superiority, that's kind of my equivalent of uh, put players in zones that they prefer to play in. And if you put players kind of in zones that are doing the same role, you're going to clash a little bit. And that's kind of been my mantra for what I believe in a team just generally. When, when you have a look at it, it's just it's so difficult, mate, because when you talk about balls over the top, which is something that I felt that we needed drastically in this game, when you isolate player traits, Jorginho and Kiwior, that's one of their major strengths, yeah. like in yeah. terms of the passes in their locker and they just weren't brave. And so when you have to go back and say, okay, well, why are they not doing something that they're the best at? Surely they should have the confidence to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. I think it comes down a little bit more to kind of that symmetry. And I don't think we as fans pay as much attention to it as we should. And I'm not just saying it because I felt like this sporting game was a, a, a big proponent of it. I think in general, it's actually something it kind of comes back to my one Mikel criticism, which is I don't know if he necessarily replicates our patterns of play after injuries or after switching um, a formation. I feel it's something that he has to develop. Does that mean he's a shit coach or it's going to limit his ceiling? No, absolutely not. It's just something that I think he needs to work on from an experience lens. And and I think we'll get it. Um, when I look at the game, for example, how many times did Reese Nelson in the first half make unbelievable runs that just weren't found? It was an immense, and that comes down from chemistry. It comes down from looking for your player to be able to do it because, again, the Jorginho lofted ball over the top of defenses is his probably his best pass. Kiwior, one of his best passing is his long-range passing switches, which we didn't see enough of. Um, and the fact that he can kind of open up on the same side with his left foot to have a chip over the top, that is something that he can do in his sleep from a player perspective. But I just think there was a little bit of people making debuts. There was a little bit of people not understanding some of the relationships. And um, I hate to do this, but I think our recent February player of the month was a player that really struggled in this game, yep. um, particularly in transitions. And I do think he became overly emotional. Uh, I do think that there might be a conversation about that because I'm seeing it get worse, not better. 
from a perspective of him maybe getting emotional more often and then sacrificing the middle because I do feel he's not picking his moments when to drift as well as he has in previous games. I do think that by nature he has a free role, but I just don't know if he struck the right balance with having a debutant left center back right next to him to really drift in the same way. Um, and he maybe relied on the fact that Granit Xhaka was ahead of him that he could maybe fill in a little bit more. But yeah. that communication was off very clearly. Yeah, and I, and I think when Tommy Asu came on, you saw with a bit more of a handholder that you Kivior felt a bit more stabilised on that side, which again you pointed out yesterday. But yeah, I mean, there's certainly on Zinchenko, you know. Well, let's you know take Martin Erdegaard out of the team, and what do you lose? You lose someone dropping to receive the ball. You lose someone in those wide triangles. You lose someone who's able to interchange out outside and sit in lane five with Saka, and then come back in. You lose someone who's on the edge of the box looking for that ball. You know, Vieira is a great player, but he's not exactly Martin Erdegaard. And I think what happens is you go, all right, just plop him back in. He's a good player. He'll do the exact same job. And it just doesn't happen. And as you say, then then individual qualities, the system itself, the sort of soil in which the team has grown from is for, of a dis- different consistency, is is exposed to different elements and you don't get the same kind of growth. What an, what an analogy. Lovely. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. But also when, combined with that, someone like Zinchenko, you're right. Is gave the ball away far too much. Um, you know, I, I does he miss the next game because of that yellow? I could be wrong on that. He, no, he doesn't. Okay, but close. but yeah, does he? Do but does he it? get that? Does he get that yellow if he doesn't just get involved in that sort of melee afterwards? You know, I, I think from from in my opinion, I think it's it's a foul and um, it's difficult to say whether you know that player is going to get it. Blah blah blah. It's sort of not the point, but. You know, it's again, it's like getting involved in these types of things. The same when he was getting involved with Neil Mopé at the end of that Everton game at Goodison Park. It's like you just don't need to do it. And when you're already in a situation where players are making their debuts, where a sort of unbalanced team uh, is disappointing. And, and finally, just to come to your point about Mikel, yeah, I, as I said, like I, I hope over the next couple of seasons in in Europe, we find some kind of fluency and ability to to change a few pieces and things not completely fall apart. I think that's going to come with time. I think that's going to come with um, just natural maturation of players and time on the training ground, but also that ability to go, actually, this player can, you know, if we know, for example, that Tomiyasu always comes in in Europe as our starting right centre-back, we can start to plan for that and go, okay, right, well, Tommy, we need you to play like this. We need you to start to do this. We need to, but you know, at the moment, Tommy S is going, right, I'm going to go right back. I'm going to go left back. I'm going to go. So when we have that full completed squad, I hope we can be a bit more consistent with that. And hopefully that will help too. Yeah. And I, and I think just naturally he's somebody, when, when you meet a really smart person, they have a tendency to think differently to the rest of the world. And I do feel as though some of that comes at the expense of being smart, too smart for your own good. Um, and I, I think sometimes that narrative can be a little bit overblown. But generally, the, the one thing that I think that gets kind of underutilized is mental profiles. So I think a lot of times when we talk about teams and partnerships, we look at players. And when you talk about cooperative superiority, not just to do that, because I think when you talk about a criticism being uncoordinated, you need to look at relationships on the field. I don't think that we talk about mental profiles enough. So for example, long term, I will say having Gabrielle as your left center back and with a Zinchenko as a left back for me doesn't strike the best balance of a mental profile. I think that Saliba and Ben White, for example, not only do they complement each other with on the football skills, but also I think they complement each other quite well in terms of their mental profile. So I think Ben White is actually just naturally a little bit more um, aggressive in certain moments, but Saliba can be as well. But the difference is, I think between the two of them, they both understand the idea of filling in where the other leaves. I don't think Gabrielle and Zinchenko naturally do that. Um, They're both players when there's a fire, they want to run to it. Um, And I think that that can be uh, detrimental when you start to look at um, kind of these big moments, because I don't think that Tommy Asu did anything naturally, um, you know, superb. I think he just, as you said, he was kind of more of a handholder in terms of his defensive ability. And I think he just needed somebody to stick. I don't know if he did something naturally incredible. I think part of the reasons that we kept getting transitioned on, whether it was Jorginho, whether you talk about Zinchenko, it was because players weren't in position that they needed to be in to begin with. And I think that we've had that criticism ever since the World Cup, really. And we've talked about this concentration. It's resulted in a doubling of our transition rates. And I think it just comes down to maybe understanding we need to maybe have a talk with certain players about when to hold, when to go. Um, 
and to kind of open up that freedom less um, when you're on the break and you're running back to goal and when you've seen yourself get a transition when the, within the first couple minutes. I think for me, naturally, I would like my defense to look at that and say, listen, we've got a scare. Let's hold it for the next five or 10 minutes. And I, I think that's part of the experience in controlling a game that I don't see enough from the team necessarily, where it doesn't, it doesn't have to be kind of the end of a game where you do death by a thousand passes. I think choosing when to be um, adventurous going forward is just as important as knowing when to shut the door. And I, I do think that's just something that we're going to accustom to a little bit more. Um, and we do have emotional leaders. Like when you look at our senior players, by the way, just in general in the, in the squad, they are generally an emotional profile. When you talk about um, all the benefits that they've done, um, Gabriel Jesus, Zinchenko, Granite Shaka, they are naturally emotional leaders. I would say Thomas Partey is probably the only more subdued kind of experienced mental profile that we have. So it's it's kind of something that we are missing in the squad. I actually think a lot of our youngsters develop more into those types, by the way. Abakayo Saka, Martin Odegaard, these, uh, Emil Smith-Rowe, these are much more quieter leaders in terms of doing their talking on the pitch. So I, I don't know if it's necessarily a recruitment need, but it's definitely something that I'm noticing could be an issue down the line if we're talking about um, you know, those big cup moments. And I specifically look at the Premier League or the uh, the Europa League for this because I know in this run, keeping your nerve is going to be something that's very important, not just in a title run-in, but particularly in cup, cup competitions when those defensive moments are really your bread and butter. In cup competitions, you need to be defensively secure in order to go far. Um, whereas I think in the Premier League title run-in, we're going to need that experience, but more so we're going to need players to keep their cool when things get a little bit rushed. Um, I'm not worried per se, but I'm just seeing signs where it isn't just sporting. But in the last five games, let's say, we've struggled to control the narrative. And we have at times let the opposition play the game they want as opposed to us forcing them to play the game that we want them to. I think you're right. I think you're right. And I think I think you're right to pick up on our left-hand side. And you know, when we're trying to add our favorite carbohydrate, you know, he's, he is another, um, not, he's not a hothead. He just, I think at times when I watch Declan Rice, I just think like, mate, you're trying to win the game on your own. And perhaps that's a, that's the fact that he, he is the most talented by far in that West Ham team. So, you know, to a degree, it's up to him to win it. Um, so maybe that can sort of be coached out of him. He seems like a good profile mentally off the pitch, but yeah, there is that sort of, um, dogged, uh, mentality that he, that I've seen him have to not say he can't, taken out of him but you know we've got that with yeah Xhaka Gabriel and Zinchenko on that side and yeah it's 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 a it's a certainly a consideration certainly a consideration but look by no means was yesterday an absolute mess I've got the mm. um the numbers here more we had more shots we had um 67 possession we did more uh more I think yeah double double their passes completed passes 73.7 percent field tilt 66 final third entries to their 30 you know Numbers, 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 but it, it it tells us that this wasn't some kind of you know complete uh, stalemate. You know, this as much as the scoreline told us that we were we were probably the better side, um, and I think we probably the only thing we really need to discuss, uh, which we did briefly on this, the reaction is is set pieces. But I don't feel like it's any great cause for concern. Um, considering what we've, what we've been been speaking about but but yeah let's let's get to the set pieces before we do some kind of individual analysis i i said to you right it's something when i i'm very very open and very keen and if anyone listening has a like a no mate alex this is the thing please send it my way because i would love to know what the structural issues are with our corners at the moment with our set pieces at the moment i'd love to know what defensively we're doing wrong please tell me but when i'm looking at it i'm just seeing Partey loses his man on saturday i'm just seeing tarkovsky is pushing erdegaard out the way uh, against everton i'm just seeing the referee didn't <laughs> draw the var lines i'm seeing individual errors um and on that goal last night i'm seeing a mistake from either Matt Turner or Kivy or kind of take your pick. So I'm not seeing structural errors. That's not to say there's no issue, 
but that's to say that I suppose there's a slightly simpler fix, which is probably concentration, which you were talking about yesterday. I think so. Um, and I think it's also an extension of potentially being a team right now that has lacked concentration in other areas. For example, some of the open play goals that we've conceded, I keep going back to this, but the Aston Villa one for me is such a glaring error that is so in opposition to our basic MVP of the season, which is the press. And for me, it's nothing more than concentration in terms of that goal. And so when I look at it and I start to see it creep into other facets of our game, I'm kind of neglect to say that it's a structural issue because the structure of the team has generally been the strongest points of this team. Um, when you talk about the press and you talk about these things. So um, when I'm looking at it, yeah, it's a concern. And I'm kind of with you in the sense of saying, listen, we need to fix up. But if I'm kind of, you know, Nicholas Yover, um, it's difficult for me as a coach to, to sit there and look at those goals conceded and say, listen, our team is doing something drastically wrong um, in terms of how we're defending short corners, in terms of how we're marking up. If anything, I feel that the assignments that we're doing maybe aren't um, being as well thought out. Um, and I doubt that Nicholas Yeover is saying, Martin Odegaard, you are taking care of Tarkovsky on the training pitch. <laughs> we are going to train for you to do so. Um, I really doubt that's the case. I really um, hope not. Let's say that. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's, let's say I, I really hope not too. And especially for a coach, by the way, that was renowned for getting, giving us the best record last season. Yeah. I would really hope he hasn't space jammed his ability to coach that. Um, so I don't, <laughs> and, and, I, and I hope this doesn't come off as like sarcastic, um, you know, commentary, but but I, I just think it is a concentration issue. Um, and, and I do feel, um, you know, looking at the game, it's not something that uh, I think is going to be a future concern. But one thing that I hope happens is with kind of your pieces coming back in Gabriel Jesus, we see a much greater emphasis on the press again. Because um, I, I don't know if you thought that the press was different this uh, this game, but I actually felt that we did a lot of what we did last year in this game off the ball. So what I mean by that is I think that we went a little bit more zonal, which I didn't agree with. And I do feel that we went a little bit one-two in terms of our press for a large majority of it before adding kind of a Neil Smith row on the front line to go 3-4-3. Three, three. We, we did match up, but I think we matched up zonally. We didn't do a 1v1 press um, throughout the game. There was definitely moments that we did it, but I think generally we kind of went a little bit more zonal, which I wasn't a big fan of. And I just feel that gives the impetus to the opposition Maybe that's because we've had so many changes in the starting 11 that perhaps Mikel doesn't feel comfortable with plan B necessarily operating as plan A quite yet. Um, and that's certainly possible. Um, but I do think it was at the detriment of the squad. Like I would rather see us kind of match up 1v1, even with the plan B, um, because I feel it gives the opposition some impetus. Um, and I think it's a big reason for why there were spaces um, within our back line. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I'd have to rewatch it to, to comment on that, to be honest. The thing that the thing that stood out to me was the feeling, as I said at the, at the top of the pod, the two out of three of our big space defenders, two out of three of the guys who we know behind us are going to win those duels, weren't there. So it just felt possibly psychologically, whether it was conscious or not, I wonder whether the likes of, even if they were told to, to go 1v1 and, and really, really, um, really go after them, I wonder how much they think. Are we going to win the ball if this goes long? You know, you know, there is there is that part of it. So I don't know. I'd have to watch it again. But that's that was my main feeling. So, do you know who makes me really think that, mate? It's Saka. I've never seen him that deep, and it yeah. was certainly instruction. And, and so yeah. for me, when you've got one of your best wingers that deep, um, yeah. I, I'm sure they were afraid of the long ball. But then I, why? Why do that almost? Yeah, I, I don't know if you saw that. Did you see that Tifo video about the box midfield? You know I did. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> it's a very good video. It's a very good video. I have a small disagreement with it, though. In uh, John McKenzie's an amazing tactician, and this is by no means a kind of... Diff not goes after Tifo. It's not that. It's literally just a nerdy disagreement. He sort of highlights Arsenal's... Basically, the reason we're using a box midfield, he thinks, is because we're trying to get some more space in between the lines. And I'm like, yes, a bit, and maybe trying to find overload, overload centrally. But if you watch our games, teams teams just sit centrally compact, and we have, and, and normally we're forced wide to Martinelli and Saka. And I think, to be honest, we're kind of happy doing that to go out and to come back in and to sort of arrive in the box. I think that's, you know, it's not it's not like saying that's our only way of playing, but I don't see us breaking lines in the way he was trying to show us on the video that much. And the reason I say that is because I think part of the reason we're using the box 
is because of Jorginho. I think Jorginho is being accounted for with a Zinchenko in there, someone a bit more energetic, someone a bit more technical, someone who's, who's able to step in a bit quicker and just stop that single pivot thing happening, which Partey can do and Jorginho can't. So I think Arteta is adapting for that. So then the question is, is if Arteta is adapting for that, then will he adapt to other things? And is that Saka thing instruction? I don't know. Point being that there is clearly an adaptation when Jorginho comes in. So I wonder whether the press was an instruction, we'll never know. I wonder whether the sack is sitting back with an instruction, we'll never know. But by hook or by crook, it was different. And I th- I think I know why. And um, not just to transition away from that, I completely agree with everything you're saying. Um, as somebody that has loved Good. the box Good, or you're off so the long, podcast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a dictatorship <laughs> if you don't agree. Um, it, look, as somebody that has loved the box, and I've been talking about the box ever since my time on Twitter. It's something that I felt that is going to be more prevalent in terms of how positional teams are going to do it. And by the way, it's not just us, Barcelona, um, Brighton, um, you know, a lot of these players are using it right now, and, I, and or coaches rather. And I, and I think it has to do more so with defending transitions, mate, personally. Like we were kind of talking off air, like what are the benefits? And I don't want to steal ideas. So maybe I won't say it exactly because we might have videos on that. But I think it's a defensive point of view um and it's about distances and it's about controlling which relates to your Jorginho point by the way because if you have a player that struggles in big spaces then why don't we create a structure that puts them in the farthest distance away from goal like that is your first very basic need um especially if you've got somebody that can't run there so that's definitely one thing I did want to end on a positive I felt the mentality to get it to to even playing maybe not at your potential was excellent by the team. And this is no shock to a team that has recovered the most points in the Premier League from a losing position, by the way. This is a mentality of the team. And I did want to end a little bit more on a positive because I felt even despite all of these hiccups, maybe off the ball, I did feel that the way that this team kept trying to recover their position was admirable. Um, and especially, uh, I really felt that Martinelli um, had a good game. And, you know, for some reason, I felt that on the timeline that wasn't being reflected as much. I felt that there was a lot of um, debate whether or not he had a great game. But for me, I felt that he was, um, you know, very good at linking play. I felt that he was attempting, uh, maybe not always perfect, just like the team. It was uncoordinated, but he himself was getting himself in positions to really affect play. And I really liked that. And I felt, um, you know, the team never gave up. And that's something that, you know, if you're not playing well and you're going to escape a European tie away by not playing well and you're down 2-2, you, you can't critique the team getting it back to a draw and taking it back home. Like, I think that's the perfect result. Maybe not performance, but the perfect result, given how we played. Nobody's perfect, you know? Mm. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I agree on Martinelli. And I also want to shout out Saliba as well. I thought Saliba had a really good game. Um, I thought he he um, showed a remarkable amount of maturity, actually, considering his age and showed he is just not Europa League level, is he? He's conference league level. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, we'll go to a break and then we'll come back with some questions and much more after this. Oh, geez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. Welcome back to News and Views, where we give you all the news and all your views, but mostly ours. Thank you to those of you who are in the Different Not Members Club. You can join too at patreon.com forward slash Different Not get access to ad-free versions of all of our content, which includes main podcasts like this one, bonus podcasts, instant reactions, the rewatch with Rohan Jivan, and bonus video content for just £3 a month, George. For goodness sake, less than the price of a coffee. Speaking of coffee for one-time supporters, buymeacoffee.com forward slash Different Not, where you can... Buy me a coffee. Oh, baby. <laughs> Are in the show description. We've had a question, George, hmm. from Omar, who is at OMZ or Ohms AFC. He says, how far do we get in the Europa League before we start playing our full strength squad in the games? I want to win it. 
but I wouldn't risk burning out players for the title challenge. Uh, so this is a big conversation on Arsenal Twitter. It's about fitness. And I do think... As is Orbinio, uh, by the way. As is, as is Hilarious. <laughs> do not take his stats. Um, keep, <laughs> do not take keep, that man's assist stats. He will come yes. after you. Keep your stats out of that mouth. Um, you know, it's in terms of, you know, I, I really feel that the fitness of the team gets overblown, mate. I, I think, uh, again, it comes from commentary on sports science that I don't think a lot of people are, are into. Uh, I appreciate the concern. I do. I don't want to dismiss it. But I, again, I would like to ask people, what do you think the team is going to do next season in the Champions League? when they're going to be in a position where they hopefully go far, like let's flip it. If you just change the name to champions league and Europa league, I don't know. Would people be feeling the exact same way on a team that chattels on challenges on both fronts? I don't know. Um, and from a pure fitness perspective, um, in terms of people being overplayed or a load concern or whatnot, next season, the entire squad is going to be faced in terms of playing these 60 game seasons. When you look at your Vinicius junior, your Mbappe's, your, um, your top players in the world do their do those teams rest in the Champions League nights their best player? No, <laughs> you know they all play their best players, and that's because they want to win, and that's because they should be expected to uh, play every two to three days. I'm sorry, it's the sad reality. Now, on one or two moments, maybe in the group stages, no problem. But I guarantee you, every competent coach is playing their best team from the quarters and even the round of sixteen onward in those competitions and by the way that kind of goes for the fa cup that goes for most club competitions once you get into quarterfinal territory for me all of that becomes your starting 11 typically um you know and and i think that just comes down to understanding that you know these guys are going to have to play i have no problem with them playing and i don't like this idea of prioritizing one cup over the other for me it sends the wrong message um i was perfectly happy with the level of rotation that we saw in this game um did i want more no, I think we saw the uh, effect of having what we had already. Um, but as the competition gets to the corner semis and finals, I actually believe at that stage losing uh, a match is more detrimental in a mental aspect in a title run-in um, than throwing it um, per se. Like I, I don't agree with this idea of let, let's let's throw a semi-final game um, in order to focus on the Premier League because I think losing a big semi-final um, it it hurts you mentally. Uh, as much as fans don't want to admit it, and maybe your motivation is the Premier League, I assure you from a sporting perspective, losing any final or semifinal or quarterfinal is not something that feels good. And you can't just whitewash and compartmentalize like Ben White. Ben White is probably the only player in the squad that I feel confident in compartmentalizing like that. Like this is a guy that can switch on and off like a light switch. I don't think that happens with teams and especially towards the end of a season. I think that winning, playing your strongest team develops chemistry. And for me, the title run in is all about consistency and you don't achieve that by whitewashing your team in, in the middle of the week and then expecting them to perform um, on the weekend. Well, firstly, I'm offended at your spurious claim that not everyone on the timeline on Twitter is a sports scientist, which um, (laughs) I'm deeply offended by. (laughs) <laughs> um, do you know what it is mate and perhaps I'm, I've got Arsenal fanitis here and thinking everything's about us but I do think this is about us <laughs> I, I ha- have a thing where did you see that the graphic that came out about Arsenal's injuries like the most injured players in the 21st century and there was like 20 on there 7 of which were Arsenal players so I think that the, the kind of Ramseys, Wilshers, Chamberlains, Diabys, Welbecks, Marlins, those guys, combined with years out of Europe and years out of the Champions League, has embedded a kind of conservative psyche and mindset in Arsenal fans, I think. I wonder whether the same level of concern would have... And also, you know, okay, also teams are expected to play more fixtures that's just a fact of the matter but also squads have increased in size do you know what I mean squads are now expected to so you know and we've also got five subs so I I I understand the concern about player welfare I do but I'm also like I'm not not everyone is Ronaldo or Messi but they're just the players that come to mind they they played at the top level twice a week for years and you know were fine I'd appreciate they're kind of freaks but what I'm saying is that you know plenty of players freaks in terms of their um 
football ability, but plenty of other players at that level do exactly the same. You know, the, that your Angel Di Maria's, your whatever. Like these guys just play week in, week out. And if you want to get to that level, as you said, you have to... Players like Bukayo Saka, I think Arteta even said it earlier on this season, Saka's got to play every couple of days. Otherwise, he's not going to be the player that everyone wants him to be. If, if Saka just plays on the weekends, like he's like John Mayer, like love on the weekend, like it's it's not going to... It's not going to be good for his for his career. So, yeah, and I, and I just think there's a kind of I I sympathise with those people who are like, we've got to prioritise the Premier League, but I don't think it. I think it's a false equivalence to be like, oh, we by playing a load of kids in Europe, we're prioritising the Premier League. Who says? Like, it, we, we just got to win the next game, and we've got enough time to recover. Players like Ben White have had actually you know we worry about them their their appearance numbers but their minutes have been managed pretty well he's had he's had quite a few times off and then i'm looking through the calendar as well and i'm going okay so after this week after that we've got the second leg of sporting next week then we have one two three three weeks of nothing midweek you know, so why not play the the first team? You know, it's I don't I don't think it's like we if we were in the FA Cup and whatever, there might be a bit more rotation, whatever. Fine, but I just think, yeah, in terms of trying to get to that level, in terms of accepting that this is something that we're going to have to deal with as a, as a reality next season, and also to say I don't believe in that idea that like oh by playing our first team we're not prioritising the Premier League. What like players should be able to recover players have recovered for years and players at this level must recover otherwise they're not they're not the right players and you know no no a hundred percent and i i understand the trauma i do think it's trauma and i yes, think you're I, completely I spot think, on i think it's, it's trauma-based i think it, people are scared purely. yes yes and especially look in the short term and historically by the way in the short term what has derailed our season injuries and then it, it, it's a lot of, you know, correlation doesn't mean causation for me. Like, it's, it's as simple as that. Um, I, I think our fitness uh, department, by the way, um, if you do have actually a look at it with Ben Dinnery, like, we have one of the best records with um, returning players um, after injury. And I know people don't want to hear that because um, the players that we've got injured are our most important players. But actually from time off, you know, we were the best at that last season. <laughs> so um, so from a purely like assessment of the medical department, we've been phenomenal. And we often take the lead in the Premier League, by the way, of Gary O'Driscoll on these protocols. So for me, it's not, um, you know, a, a matter of lack of knowledge. Sometimes it's poor luck and sometimes it's a matter of just um, doing that balancing act. Okay. And, and one thing that I do like to always tell people, by the way, um, time off doesn't mean that it's load off. Um, you know, time off doesn't mean that your muscles aren't going to be more fatigued or less fatigued. Um, you know, it's not as simple as that. Um, and in fact, losing that rhythm can be just as detrimental as um, having that rhythm. You know, players that have, um, you know, a lack of minutes are more likely to create actions that, you know, are tired or fatigue based or lazy. Um, and that's when injuries happen. Um, yep. So and, it's a balancing act. And and the coaching staff and the, and the and the medical team that you rightly point out have so much data on these players. <laughs> like they're 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 GPSed up. They're they're doing blood tests. They're doing you know they're doing all sorts of stuff. They know when people are in the red zone. Like they they know when this stuff's happening way more than we do. Like like I promise you, if 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 there's a systemic issue, which I think there was at Arsenal for a little while, then yeah, like we should be concerned. But that even concern doesn't mean we have more data than them, and we don't have more expertise as a you know a group of fan base. Maybe one person does, but um, or one or two individual fans. But yeah, it's it, 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 I I I do think it's trauma based, and I do think it's something that we we're just going to have to work through as as a fan. Sounds like it's literally like it's a therapy session, but we are. You know, you're right because you know someone like Partey limping out at the end of last season, we get we panic, and you know I see tweets like "Oh, Saka's burning out" or whatever, and you're like. <sighs> no, he's not. He's having his best return in <laughs> season. What are you on about? I get yeah. it. It's trauma and fine, but but yeah, it's it's certainly something we've. Um, I think we're across, and and I trust this this setup as always. Um, let's do this then. Arsenal are not being charged <laughs> for their. Where is it? Uh, for their. Celebration. celebrations do you know what I, I i laugh about this but actually we did break i think it's ifab 
Rule 1.9, which states team officials, substitutes and substitute players must behave in a responsible manner and must remain within the technical area, except in special circumstances. <laughs> so it's like, well, then what are you saying special circumstances are? Because I can like, like what? There's a fire in the stadium. Like, is that is that what we're saying? Because there was fire in the stadium and it was off of Reese Nelson's right boot, mate. Um, right boot? Left, left boot. Left yeah. Boot. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how much I care about this, but I do, I do, I do want your perspective on the kind of Premier League celebration police because I don't think it's actually something we've spoken about. But I just, I just think, what a bunch of losers, really. Just like, why, why do you care? It comes down to the who Richard wins. Effect. Who wins? The Prem get what forty grand? Yeah, no, it's 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 beyond ridiculous, and I and I think that they have recognized how ridiculous it's been because um, I do think it's been an agenda, by the way, on Mikel Arteta and the team in general um, for quite a while, and it started from Richard Keyes, and it had become a media circus in terms of how many people kept commenting on the fact that Arsenal were overly emotional. It was Arsenal that were surrounding the referees as if that's been a new thing across time, as if Conte didn't run up the sideline and celebrate with fans. Jose Mourinho, as if this has not been a staple of the Premier League for 20 years. Um, give me a break. You know, the famous Arsene Wenger being sent to the Old Traffords. Like, come on, this is part of football. And if you're going to sit there and do it, then I want you to hypocritize and not basically call out every other team for doing the same thing. This is not new. Um, Arsenal have just been doing the exact same thing as others. And let me tell you, it's Arsenal getting their authority back because for years the officials haven't respected us because we have been in a tough moment. Let's call it what it is. Uh, And it happens. But we're getting our big club status back again by the way. Yep. And I do think this is part of that process 100%. in terms of there's going to be times when we do get the rub of the green from an official sense. Um, and I do think that part of that transition is challenging the status quo because we have been poor for so long. And I do think that plays a role, by the way. I do think the best performing teams do get calls um, that are favorable. It's natural. Um, and no that doubt. could be Arsenal, no Liverpool, City, or whatever. No doubt. And and uh, something Tim Stillman said, which I, I think is, is a really astute point, is that you know, he he separated out. Okay, the the person running the Premier League's Twitter page isn't the person doing the charging. Fine, but it is interesting that the Premier League are are you know showing that clip of Reese Nelson around everywhere, and I'm sure that clip will be on the Sky Sports you know sort of thing next season, and be on the, all the highlights packages that are put together by the BBC. And it's like this is an advert for what this league is and how good this league is. Are you really going to be such? frankly nerds about it like really like it's it's not worth it and and as i said who wins who wins anyway i'm just i'm just ranting (laughs) i'm just ranting (laughs) no Uh, i feel it because it's so ridiculous that i feel as though you go why are we even talking about this like i do feel like a child uh or rather like an adult with children in terms of this being even a topic because yeah. it's it's so beyond ridiculous that I, I don't and I don't know who it benefits by the way yeah exactly. you kind of made that point you know like say you were right who wins and yeah, yeah like what are you saying you want no reaction you don't want emotional <laughs> yeah, just reactions just, just just sits there silently oh like there's right. a goal please clap like let's snap our fingers yeah. in appreciation <laughs> yeah. for a goal like Do come this. on yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> for the benefit of the audio platform we did we, we did the shaking hands thing to show <laughs> applause when you can't hear applause or for um hearing the people um right let's do this then before we get to a fulham preview i've got a question on ronaldo for you george that you're gonna love do we think arsenal will continue this is from Nomi on twitter do we think arsenal will continue with the inside left forward dynamic even having multiple players for that role Martinelli, Balogun, question mark, or move towards a truer winger layout on that layout side layout, George Layout. <laughs> uh, I all I heard it was a layout. Um, no, it's uh, okay. Look, I think a lot of this depends on where you feel Martinelli will excel best. I, I have always said this. Um, I feel as though that your priority of that kind of profile of player is going to be very fluid. The structure will always be the same. Um, but how we complement that, you could go one of a million ways, and there's no right or wrong answer. Um, you just need to complement the player that you're choosing. 
you're asking me personally not to sit on the fence because I will always give you my true opinion. I do think that we're going to be moving towards a more truer winger um, uh, down the line. I don't think that the inside forward role is something that I'm comfortable doing. Um, it doesn't mean that it's a wrong, a wrong kind of uh, way to look at it from getting your goals. I just feel that um, for me, I, I want us to make use of putting players in positions that they're more comfortable in. And for me, Martinelli is more comfortable in central positions. That's really as basic as it comes down to. And if you disagree, by the way, I understand why you would think that we would keep a Balogun type. I, I understand that. It makes sense to me. Um, but if you're telling me well, how can we maximize our goals, which is really the goal, pun intended, of this entire discussion, and ah. uh, uh-huh, uh, getting you know 90 to 100 goals... I believe that doing that results in putting people that are comfortable on the wing on the wing and putting people that are comfortable through the middle or um, as close to goal because they're one of the best finishers in your team as close to goal as much as possible. You radical. Radical. I know. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it, it really, it comes down to Martinelli for me. And, and I, by the way, I do think that comes into the decision-making. You've just put him on a major contract. You better um, supplement like that's that's definitely going to be in the minds of everybody at Arsenal. We've got a group of very young players here that are excellent. They're proving everybody wrong. But how do we supplement this team without taking away its special sauce? That is going to be a question. For sure. A Raphael, a Raphael excellent answer. That was bad. <laughs> oh, say it louder for the people at the back. I cannot condone these puns. George <laughs> <laughs> is like, I'm not involved with this. <laughs> move on, move on. Uh, let's get to uh, finally a Fulham preview. Firstly, uh, interested in your thoughts on whether you've watched Fulham at all this season because I haven't, um, and uh, what you what you make of them. I know they're without Palinia. Apparently, that's good for us. I don't. Again, I don't really know. I haven't really watched Fulham, but what I will say is we do have a question mark around our forward line um, in terms of how that's going to shake out. As I said, um, when talking about sporting, you know, you put one thing in, it's not just that one single profile play uh, changing. It's about how the dynamics on that side change. It's about how the players around the relationships, the cooperative superiorities change. Um, How would you solve that? I would say Saka on the right, Nelson on the left and Martinelli down the middle, uh, as we saw against Sporting. And I wonder whether that was a kind of dry run for it. But uh, yeah, thoughts on all of the above, please, George V underscore AFC. Well, nice Ralphie, by the way. I'm sorry? Nice Ralphie. (laughs) Get it. Someone's doing well at clinic. (laughs) eh, You know, I'm struggling a bit, but (laughs) no, um, I I really think uh, at the expense of not getting kicked out of the pod, I must agree with you. Um, I I think that, that, yeah, that, that, um, that front line is definitely what I would go with, um, especially with who we have available, by the way, because when you actually start to look at it, it is a little bit worrying in terms of we have a very short term um, attacking crisis, really. Um, whether or not you think um, Gabriel Jesus is back um, for this game, um, you've basically got Trissard out, right? You've got Eddie and Kedia that's out as well. Um, we don't have very many other options. Like I'm struggling to provide you with another front line that makes sense to me without putting an Emil Smith Rowe or a Fabio Vieira in it, which is not comfortable. Um, this is not something that I want to see. So for me, it's definitely the way to attack it from a Fulham perspective. Again, I'm not an avid watcher of Fulham, uh, but in general, basically, I, I think that they um, have a really good, strong uh, fullback pairing. And I think a lot of their um, benefits come from that thrust. So if you're able Cedric to Cedric can't play against us, mate. I, I know, uh, shockingly. You know, he, he was going to be the MVP, you know, of this game. Um, we're so lucky. It's not Paulinho out. It's actually Cedric out that is, you know, the benefit. Um but yeah, no, Paulinho definitely is their glue from a transition perspective. Uh, the only thing that I will say um, is that if you look at Fulham, they have the most uh, XG goals conceded in the league, um, nearly two. And that comes a lot from their transitions and the fact that they do provide a lot of thrust through the wide areas. But Paulinho has a huge task of trying to control that transition. Um, so for me, it, it's it's about a being tight and center, shock, having some central running power, and making sure that um, 
you get people that are confident. Um, when you have Martinelli, a striker, by the way, um, you need to have two wingers that are comfortable ball defeat. It is the same kind of debate with Holland and whatnot. When you have these off-the-shoulder type of strikers, um, you need to supplement them with guys that are comfortable between the lines. And our best at that is Saka and, and you know, Nelson. There's a shout for Emil Smith-Rowe. Of course there is. Um, but I, I think, especially in this fitness, uh, Nelson is farther along. Um, he's had some good performances, um, and I want him to get a chance to kind of continue that. So um, let's let's make sure that we shut down the middle. Um, and we're clinical because uh, Fulham will give you chances um, on the break. So let's make the correct decisions in the right moments, and we should be fine. So you're saying 5 nil? <laughs> I, I do think that it's going to be an easier game than what we've had. I, I don't know if it's quite 5 nil. I think it's roughly along a 2 nil mark. I do think that we get a clean sheet. Um, I do. Um, I, I think that, uh, y- you know, it, it'll, be, it'll be an easier day for us than it has been. Um, famous last words. You say that they do have Willian. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, the the superstar that we know we know and love quite dearly. But he's had a great season. He, like, I was, sarcastic. That's why you know, I wasn't going to. He's actually quite good. He's he's unfo- been very good. Unfortunately, he uh, just didn't show it at the Emirates. Uh, right, George, we'll leave it there because you've uh, got to go and uh, do what? Meet meet people. Meet meet kids. Save kids' <laughs> lives. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think I can't say I got to meet kids in public. Uh, okay. Yes. Yes. Just saves their lives. No problem. Um, listen, we won't do any news and views. Uh, news and views. We won't do any uh, awesome trivia without Brad because it just feels wrong. So uh, thanks as always for listening. Keep a different knock. Thank you, George. Pleasure as always. Beautiful man. Uh, and we'll see you later. All right. Peace, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to The Different Knock, an Arsenal podcast. Please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using. If you'd like to support The Different Knock, you can find us on Patreon and buymeacoffee.com. We're on all social media at DiffKnock. Thanks. Podcast Network.